Welcome to the Slay Podcast with Leanne Gabriel. Listen in as she leads and empowers with stories of inspiring women making a difference in today's world. Well, good afternoon, Slay family. I am so excited to be back on this fantastic Tuesday, and I have a very special guest. I am thrilled to have her here today. Uh, today, tuning in from New Hampshire, we have Sienna Martin. If you could say hello, Sienna. Hi, thank you for having me. Uh, Sienna has a passion for helping children, particularly children who have been diagnosed with autism. And we're going to have an awesome conversation about what she does to help people and give you some tips on supporting children and families who are also in this circumstance having autism in their family. So to begin, first of all, I know you just completed your master's degree. So congratulations. And uh, I'd love to start with how you became interested in this because it's such an incredible way to serve and help people. You know, what sparked your interest in working with children or working with children with special needs? Um, so I've really been working with children since I was 12. I just needed some cash, so I picked up babysitting and I've never left it before um, I got my bachelor's in art education. Um, I wasn't thrilled about working in a school environment, but I didn't know what else was out there. I fell into a job with behavior analysis, uh, found it on Indeed. And that first experience really had me hooked from there. I had a great supervisor. I worked in a home-based daycare with a mom who also had two sons who were autistic. And I just learned so much from her. And um, yeah, it's, it's been the most fun I've ever had. It's incredibly challenging, but it's also been so rewarding to get that connection and engagement with um, kids. I can only imagine. And you deal with kids from two, I think, up to teens. Is that accurate? Yep. Yeah, I think our my company will go up to 21, but I usually stick around the early intervention, kind of going into the five, six, seven-year-olds so far. But I do have my first teen client and that's been really great too. Um, that's he's a, the light of my life. He's so great. Excellent. And can you share with everybody, what are some of the things that you help children with in terms of, you know, skills or what are the things you're trying to help them develop or get more comfortable with? Sure. So traditional ABA has a lot of kind of compliance-based therapy and I there's all this great social media out so we can hear from actual autistic voices and hear how that's been going. And there has been a lot of history of it not being um, a great experience or even a good experience. And so my goal is to really kind of shift that to teaching kids to identify their own sensory needs, learn about them, communicate them, and be able to get their wants and needs met in the society that's not always built for their Type of yes, awesome. And there are things that you have to deal with in terms of not just supporting the children, but you often come into the picture when a family has first received the diagnosis, correct? And yeah. can you just take a minute? Because I think it's important for, you know, everybody I know knows somebody, if they don't have someone in their family with autism, they know somebody who has, you know, an autistic family member, but there is the emotional challenge when somebody first finds out as a parent. And can you just, you know, show people or tell people a little bit about what that's like and how you help them through that? Absolutely. Yeah, it's, um, you know, it can weigh incredibly heavily. I have had many tearful conversations with parents who don't expect them to unleash these emotions with someone they've just recently welcomed into their home, but they have actually been 
craving and needing and deserving someone who is willing to listen and is there for their family and is just all ears about hearing no matter how many times you might repeat the same thing or talk about the same behavior or talk about oh I just wish this was different or what I love about this um so I think you know it's really easy for parents to kind of think long term and get very um you know, really have that stress about how will my kid live independently ever? Will they ever live on their own? Will they find love? Will they blah, 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 all these different kind of what ifs. And I think that is a huge challenge, that emotional weight, um, just daily, really. So I encourage parents and as much as they can to try to think short term, think in six months steps. Where do you, what do you want your child to look like in six months? Where do you wish they were, could be? What can we do to help you guys get there? Um, so I think really just the listening is one of the biggest parts of my job is hearing out families and what they need for their family. And I think what you just said is brilliant to give them perspective because, you know, most of the time, if someone has a kid that's two or three years old, they're not worried about what their career is going to be or what's going to happen in them. But you can completely, I can at least completely understand where someone with a child with some kind of special needs would be thinking about that. But that's an awful lot to take on emotionally, isn't it? Okay, so let's do another thing that I really want to talk about because I've had friends, um, I've always had friends with autistic children. And one of the things I would love to get your perspective on is if you are somewhere and a child has, you know, a sensory overload. I mean, some of these kids are super sensitive to, you know, well, you can tell them all the things that they are sensitive to, better you to tell them than me, but sometimes it's too much and they kind of have a little bit of a meltdown. So can you take a minute and tell everybody what are some circumstances that will be too much for a child? And if you are there and you don't really know the family, what is proper supportive behavior and how should they respond? I think that would be so valuable if you don't mind doing that. Sure. Yeah. Um, every kid is so different. So I encourage from the moment that you get that diagnosis to really just be the detective of your kid's behavior. Um, notice those patterns. Do they scrunch up their face? Do they tighten up their shoulders? Are they loose with their body? Are they in a comfortable position? Are they covering their ears? Um, I think it's up to 95% of autistic adults say that they have some difficulties or differences with sensory processing. And that can mean uh, hyper awareness or hypo awareness. Sometimes they're overstimulated and sometimes they're understimulated. And that can be with any of the senses. So it can be taste, touch, vision. It can be the sense of knowing you're hungry or the sense of registering movement throughout space in your body. And so you might see some of these behaviors and have no idea what they mean to that child, but I can assure you that the parent who is there or the caregiver knows their child and is trying to do what's best for their child. And that might not look like what you are used to for helping a child regulate or engage in self-regulation, co-regulation. So, you know, make eye contact with the parent, the caregiver there, use your body language. Are you available to help? If you're not and you're gonna judge, just mind your own business and keep walking. But that's not, you know, uncommon to go up and just offer support. Do you need help? Do you need a hand? Um, I don't think many parents that I know who have been in a situation in public that feeling this embarrassment, they're matching the energy of their child, it's starting to get really heated for them too. 
that um, the last thing you know they need is unhelpful stares. Helpful eye contact, it's great. Yeah, it's really challenging because sometimes also somebody doesn't recognize that the child you know is on the spectrum. So like they just think the kids being bad or being belligerent and you know it's probably all, always safer to assume that there's a reason behind it than to judge all a parent. All behavior is communication. Um it's it's usually just how the body is processing the stimulation of the environment around them. And if you have sensory processing differences, you're going to engage with that environment differently. Uh, and how many times as parents do people say oh, it's too cold out. Oh, it's not too cold out. You don't need your jacket. Oh, that's not too scratchy. You're fine. It's not too hot. Just eat it. But we are not in their bodies. So we need to listen and validate. That's the best thing we can do is validate what they are feeling, what they are trying to communicate. Because all behavior is screaming. Some of that tough behavior is just, I'm in distress. I need something that you're not giving me and you're not hearing me. Oh, that's, that's a great perspective. And Sienna, if you don't mind, I mean, you've been doing this for quite a while now. Would you mind, you don't have to give a name or anything, but sharing maybe an experience where you could see that you were able to make a difference and a transition in a child? That would be so exciting. Uh, yeah, sure. Um, I guess we'll go with the, the kid that I've been working the longest with. It's been three years, four years actually now. Um, she's seven years old now. But when we started, there was a lot of aggression. There was a lot of hitting, kicking, scratching, you name it, running. And the more I, I took on learning what was past my master's degree, uh, I learned a bunch of these great strategies within my program, but there is more to it than just that. So I started following different speech language pathologists, occupational therapists, using all these different kind of sensory strategies in my sessions and the level of an engagement connection, growth and development that I saw was just like unmatched. Um, she now understands kind of where to place herself in her own energy scale. She can engage in self-regulation strategies. She can take these bre breathing strategies and say these phrases that are calm calming to her. And, mm. you know, we've gone from a meltdown multiple a day to having not seen one for about three weeks and That's incredible wow yeah, it's variable things it, it's not always consistent the growth is not linear winter can be long here in new england there are so many factors that go into it but really teaching her about regulation teaching her about her own sensory processing validating it giving her that independence and autonomy even at the age of three four whatever we can to teach that co-regulation up until about, you know, five is when a lot of kids can kind of start to learn about self-regulating. But before then, a lot of these behaviors are automatic and reflexive and mm. they're in their lower brain. They're using their amygdala, fight or flight kind of reactions, these panic reactions when they may be overstimulated, understimulated, or there might be a situation, a demand being placed on them that we don't even realize is a demand. Sometimes saying, how was your day is so demanding and so stressful to answer that. And we might not even think twice about that. Interesting. So not only are you working with them, but you're really teaching them tools so they can help themselves as they move on, like some independent things that they can use to regulate themselves. Definitely. When I first started, I noticed a lot of my supervisors had a lot of these 
programs and we're tracking how many instances of aggression or bolting and running away. We're tracking all these things and trying to decrease them. But how many different strategies are we giving the kids for when they are feeling that way? What can we do? How do we teach them to identify that and then act on it so that they can mm. regulate themselves better and provide those opportunities to give movement breaks or say, no, thank you. I don't want to eat that. Um, but you know, it's, I think it's ex exceptionally hard when there might not be that vocal communication aspect of it. So really, I think being the detective and figuring out your kid's body language is really, really high up there. And then also reaching out and finding more information. There are, are so many resources online. Social media is full of, and I'm not saying use all your strategies from you know, your neighbor on social media, but there are doctors, there are speech language pathologists, people who have great, great degrees and programs um, that you can sign up for. And I know a lot of parents who are so busy, they can't read a book. They can't read the whole book right now. But if you're scrolling on your phone at night, maybe to relax, you might just pick up on some parenting strategies or some tips to use sensory strategies in your home or with your kid before you expect them to do that task or the demand that you're asking of mm. put on your socks and shoes. Maybe they're not ready there yet. What can we do ahead of time to get them there and ready? And it sounds like you're saying that there are patterns when you're talking about the, the you know, physical patterns, like they shrug, et cetera. So do you see that a lot of the kids, when they're about to go into a meltdown or they're overstimulated, they do the same behavioral pattern that you can recognize it coming? Definitely. From kid to kid, it differs immensely. But once you spend some quality one-on-one -on -one time, um, and I hate to say this, but we got to throw the phones out the window. We got to put those phones down because even if you're not thinking about it, those kids are watching to make sure, like, are you paying attention to me? And we can miss some amazing opportunities for eye contact, engagement, connection, just if we're like looking down and not just kind of looking. So a lot of my time I spend staring at the kids and just watching them. But you get that kind of bingo eye contact and you just, you feel it so strongly that you know that they are so connected, engaged and regulated. And once you get those kind of like regulation, connection and engagement, and then language and communication and development, you have to get down there first before you can expect some of these kids to communicate in a way that you might want them to. Incredible. So now you've been doing this for a while and you've got your master's. What do you see for yourself in the future? If you look into the crystal ball, five years, 10 years, et cetera, you know, where would you like to continue down this career path? I would like to continue uh, spreading kind of more of this awareness of the need for um, behavior analysts to understand sensory processing. Many families are through insurance kind of limited to behavior analysis and behavior therapy. And Occupational therapy is six months waiting list and behavior therapy is two weeks. So they're going with the behavior therapy, but we don't know all of these strategies that can be insanely important for the development of these kids. So I would like to continue um, spreading that awareness in this field, but I think also hopefully like opening my own practice um, with a focus on that kind of connection based um therapy and not not so much of the compliance based because I see a lot of the kids uh, just grow and develop so much better when the connection, the focus on regulation, self-advocacy, that those are the key focus of 
physical therapy that I would like to provide. Amazing. Well, you do an incredible job now, and I can only imagine the impact you'll have down the road when you've got your own practice. So we're excited to follow that and see how you progress and and what you take on and, and do for children. Thank you so much. So thank you for being here. I really, really appreciate it. It was my pleasure. Thanks, Leanne. My pleasure. And uh, two quick announcements before we wrap up. Um, Number one, uh, if you are watching this on Facebook or on YouTube, please go ahead and give it like a thumbs up if you enjoyed this content and please feel free to leave any questions. Uh, Sienna is part of the Facebook group and she'll also be tuning into the YouTube channel. So you can just post a question or a comment that you have and that would be very exciting and helpful. And then the second announcement is that uh, many of you have been asking and asking and asking, will we ever turn Slay into a podcast? And finally, the answer is yes. That'll be coming out in the next few weeks. So you'll be able to do that. And I'm going to uh, hopefully Sienna won't mind being part of that launch because I love the information today. So that'll be stay tuned for that as well. And then we will be back live next week and look forward to connecting with all of you then. So thank you again, Sienna, and we'll see you all next week. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Slay Podcast. If you have any questions, comments, or would like to join our exclusive Facebook group, you can reach out to Leanna and her staff at slaywithlg at gmail.com. That's S-L-A-E with L-G at gmail.com.